This is the Barry Egan Tapes on News Talk. I'm Barry Egan of the Sunday Independent and today my guest is Mike Hanrahan. Mike, Merry Christmas and thanks for coming in. Delighted to be here, Barry. Mike, cr- Christmas is, is a, a very religious time for some people, not, not all people. When you were like a young child, you were quite, you know, used to go to Mass regularly, you know, you yeah. were a very religious child. How did that change? Can you tell me the, 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 what changed that? What, how did your faith disintegrate? Um, there was a few uh, things happened. Um, I was uh, interfered with and started slightly abused by a Franciscan brother when I was about 14 or 14 and a half. And then um, that had an effect on me. That not shook my confidence in the people that, was, that were supposed to be prote- protecting me around me because I spent a lot of time in, in the churches. I was a, I was a very... I was a good altar boy. I was. Um, you wrote was, your first song when you were twelve about yeah. Saint Joseph, wasn't Saint Joseph, it? Yeah. Well, I figured Saint Joseph wasn't getting a look in, so uh, they were all talking about Jesus and Mary. So my first song was about Saint Joseph, the underdog. And but I think around when that happened to me, that was a kind of a, it shook my confidence and uh, definitely. And then I realised things weren't what they always were saying they were because I had I had no idea what was going on in my life and. I then, as you get, you know, did, did your mother notice? Or your father no. notice a change in you? No, because I I'd, I'd kind of discovered Leonard Cohen around the same time. There was a lot of things happening in my 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 life. I was reading different types of books. I was losing interest in school. I was, and it wasn't because of that. It was just me getting more into myself as a, a I suppose a writer. I was reading. I was writing poetry. I was doing all sorts of things that none of the rest of the family were doing. So, when you look back in the poetry you wrote, can you see what that? Young child had gone through in he, the in the poems that you wrote. Uh, only on, only glimpses of them, and I still have them all. I have everything I've ever written from from that period. Glimpses I, like glimpses of of me the, the 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 shaking of of your faith. Yeah, complete shaking of the faith, and there are glimpses of that even through my diaries. There are glimpses of it, and um, uh, I guess the only way I dealt with it at the time, Barry, was to try and forget about it. And bury it, and that's really what happened. Because is that like not burying a bomb? Eventually, it'll go off. Yeah, and it eventually did go off. When did it go off? It went off on two occasions. It kind of semi went off in ninety eight, ninety nine, when when uh, the stories were coming through of of the amount of abuse that was happening in the country nationwide, and then the stories broke about America, and then there was a, a bishop I knew who was involved in. in in some of those scandals, horrible scandals in America, I knew him, and that kind of shook her completely for me because uh, I had a lot of faith in him as a person, and uh, that's when I started to write, to write about it. So I wrote my first song about it, called "The Garden of Roses." Can you give me a line of that, or? Uh, um, yeah, I can give you all of them if you want. It's um, in the Garden of Roses where you can buy beautiful roses, the the eyes of a child. In your secret desire, you cut it all down. And and now the, now the petals are less scattered on tainted ground. So the the roses were the beautiful children, and the ground. He this guy had come in. This religious figure had come in and just <clears throat> rampaged through the garden of beautiful roses, and the petals were scattered. And I used the word, the ground then was tainted. The ground was so good that it was feeding all these beautiful flowers, was now tainted. But I I always kind of find try and find hope. In, in everything that I write about. And the second verse is, is, I say about, a river once frozen, now deep in the mind, flows on like a river should in the eyes of a child. 
And that to me was when when all the, the victims of abuse were telling their stories, it was like a freeing of their, their themselves. Their, their their pain had been frozen for so long and now it was, it was being... What age were you when you wrote that song? I was uh, in my 30s, late 30s. And were you, were you 12 or 13 when, when the incident happened? Or 14, yeah. Yeah. And was it when you were about 21 walking along Middle Abbey Street, which is just up the road from here, you, you, you actually saw the, 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 the priest or the Franci- Franciscan brother yes. walk along yeah. and you stood into a doorway. That's right, yeah. You have a good memory of reading my book. It's, yeah. Um, yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was scary because it, it shook me in a sense that when you bury something, you, you, you just kind of forget about it. Were you back to being a 12-year-old again? I was back to being really scared. Really, that's what I was. Whether I was 12 or 13, but I was back to being scared and I was raw. And then that shame comes back. So you, all that stuff comes back up into you when, you when you're kind of... Did you blame yourself for it? Oh, for, for years, yeah. Of course you do. Because you carry shame, you know. And, and you live that shame that somehow it was your fault that this happened. And, and you don't want to talk about it. So the more you, the more you bury something inside you, the, the less you want to talk about it. And the bigger that becomes when it eventually comes up and, and rears its ugly head. So it was inevitable at some stage of my life I had to deal with and you, it. And you saw, it was very physical, you saw the dandruff on his... On yes, his, I'll never forget it, yeah. On his shoulder as he passed by. And that's the one thing I remembered about when, when in, in the hall when he was, was like fondling me and, and not being very kind to me. And the one thing I remember that time was, was the dandruff and... It was there again as he walked by and beyond Abbey Street. I'll never forget it. It was like shudder time. But I dealt with it. And How did you deal with it? I, I went to therapy. Uh, I actually, I, when I was 40, what, 2005, I was, Jesus, what was I? I was yeah, nearly 40, for the mid, mid 40s. And I went to therapy for. Generally, I, I, my, my life, there was other things in my life. My business had, was, was tough. Ronnie Drew had died or was about to die. My whole life had come to a kind of crossroads. Did you share your secret with Ronnie? Yes. And did he, what did he say to you? I'd say that would be, well, I, I'd, I wouldn't like to say what he said to me, except that he just offered me real support, but he was quite angry about it. Yeah. And... That was between two friends. He was he Ronnie was one of my best mates, so we we shared a lot of, of stories together, and um, he 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 acted like any friend would have done. I think he was one of the few people I ever told in my life uh, up to that point. Uh, in those years, I didn't tell my mom until the album was been released in two thousand and two. What age were you then? She's oh, 44, 40, 44. So it happened at twelve, and you had to wait thirty years. You bury it, yeah. Bury. You and just, what did your mother? What did she say? Did, did she cry? She was shocked, and she was cried. It was very, it was a very, very emotional moment between the two of us. Very emotional, but we kind of, as I said in the book, we kind of crossed, we crossed the threshold on that moment. She understood more about me, and I certainly understood more about her because I never blamed. Like my mom was a very religious person, still is. They're dedicated to their church and I really respect all those people who are really dedicated to it. I am not. I'm at the very furthest end from my mum is. But I have so much respect for her beliefs and her faith. Sometimes I envy people with that amount of faith in something like a Catholic church. 
but I don't have it. And and um, but given you were so religious as a young boy, there's no way of getting back to that, is there? I don't think for me, no, definitely not a chance, no, no, I, no. I think there's too much. Um, there was too much, too much hurt from from me, not just for me, but for people around me, and and hurt for innocent people who believed in in this great establishment, and 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 then you see various characters who were church leaders, and you see how they behaved over the years, and you see them on old clips of. I remember when when uh, poor Gabe Byrne died, they showed all clips of of the old priests who used to go and visit him on, and before all their scandals came. So those kind of things re- reinforced your thing that, you know, that it's not for me, and it's not, and I'm quite happy not to have it. My 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 idea of um, eternity is actually here. This is this life is is my eternity, and that's about as long as it is. And while I'm here, I make this eternity as best I can. That's really all I want to do. Yeah. And when you dealt with it, did did your wife realize it a, a kind of a lifting of a weight off your shoulders? I mean, had you... I guess I, I I don't I can't answer that. I don't know, except that I know that my my after I went for therapy, I went to arts therapy. I knew I had to kind of figure out a few things in my life and. Uh, uh, and it wasn't just the, the 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 church thing at all. That was part of it. My dad had died in in two thousand, and that was a had a profound effect on me. I'd never dealt with that. I never dealt with his loss. And then there was Ronnie. Was imminent death was was a tough time for me. And then there was uh, I'd come out of the Imro. I was chairman of Imro, and that was a high power thing. And, and I resigned like in disgust that something that happened in the company. So. All the this like the perfect storm in my life, and it felt like I need. I finally needed to talk to somebody. I'd reached a point when I thought you need to talk, otherwise it's going to get really, really difficult. So, what were you like before you talked? Were you ex- very? I was wired, very, very sensitive, I extremely no, intense. I was wired to the moon. I mean, I w- I was work, 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 work. It was. I buried myself into loads into of work. into work. That's yeah. it. Yeah, it was it's, like a con- concrete up to your neck. I had. I had. There wasn't enough hours in my day, and because uh, you didn't want to have time to think, yeah, I didn't want to deal with anything, you know. And even though I'd written about Dad in songs, and uh, I, 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 that album I released, "What You Know," was was dedicated to him, uh, but I still hadn't dealt with it. That was did, the, you, did you ever tell him? No, no, I never got a chance to talk to him about it. No, he 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 was very sick. Uh, did did you like he was a very religious man? But he would have been horrified at what? I think he would have been. Yeah, his oh, faith. I, in fact, I don't think so. I know he would have been. He would have been, and he would have been. He would have been. Um, but you were trying to protect him. You know, I, I can't explain it, Barry. You don't talk about it. You know, you just you you really bury it, and it's on that moment when you eventually when you when all those things were happening in Ireland, that kind of. It's like someone shaking, you know, shaking the dust around you, you know, and you're still saying, oh, I'll keep going, I'm grand. But like you're choking with the dust. You're, it's everywhere. The whole room, then the room is, but you're not going to say anything. Then suddenly something happens and you say, I got to deal with this now. And I dealt with it first by writing about it, but uh, I didn't really deal with it all until 2006 when um, dad was long gone and... I, I went to a friend of mine and says, I need to go for therapy. And he says, 
uh, I said, I want to do something different. And he said, well, he was a music therapist and he said, music is no good because you're, you're too clued into music. Have you ever done any art to school? And I said, no. So he said, art is your one. So go to art. So he set up an arts therapist for me and I went down. I'd never made anything. I'd never drawn anything. And I drew out my life and I made what, my life. What, what, what were the pictures like? There was a constant, um, it was amazing, there was a constant uh, drawing of a tree with lights in it. And it was like me trying to cling to that tree. It was always in the distance and that's where I was trying to find my way to. And I, I went, <laughs> I got I got a kind of mauler or clay one day and I, I started just messing with it and suddenly I made a boat. So it was me inter- internally. What did the boat mean? Internally trying to find my way to this tree. The tree was where it was light. It was beautiful. And it seemed everywhere I was going around Ireland, <laughs> it was, I was seeing this tree. It was mad. It was really, it was a, a very deep and, and um, moving experience in my life. That whole period over uh, maybe five or six months was, because was, you, you, when you go to that kind of therapy, you're, 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 you're tuning into yourself like you, like you never do in any other sense, you know. And it's it's tiring. It's it's <clears throat> it's really it draws a lot out of you, but it draws an awful lot of good out of you as well. And for me, yeah, I had all these images that I was I was I was creating. And you I mentioned was, in the book when you were five, your 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 dad made you a paper plane. Yeah, yeah, he was great. <clears throat> it was the I say, remember it as one of the best presents I ever got because I got so much. Was that a Christmas present? Yeah, it was my Christmas. That was my under the tree moment, <laughs> and it was one of these uh, wooden. T- planes that you create it's like just a propeller and a little uh, wooden shaft in it and there was a back uh, propeller in it and it was an elastic band wrapped around the, the, the front propeller so you wound that up you went upstairs to the top floor and you let it off and it flew and the whole idea of it flying was just incredible it was just great to see something that you made flying around and then it crashed and poor dad had to fix it. I don't know how many times he kept fixing it. <laughs> but it was a testament to him that he had the patience to do it. Constantly doing it. He never stopped. He never, until it was like eventually, he'd, he'd, I think he might have said to me, you know, the game is up. Well, because of, I mean, it was because of him that you got into what you what you ended up doing with your life. Without a doubt, yeah. You know, he, the, he, was he running a music hall or? Yeah, he was, he was, he was um, collecting tickets. He was what we call indoors as he was a bouncer, but there was never any bouncing. There was two friends of his who were big, burly ex-boxers. And they were the bouncers. And my dad was like the butchers, butchers galley. He was the guy yeah. who'd do all the talking at the door and <laughs> calm people down because he wouldn't, he'd, he'd never fought anything in his life. he never hit anything in his life. So he was the, he was the kind of, um, the talker and the two boys were kind of his, his backup. They were his henchmen. So uh, there was never any trouble in the dance hall. And he, Which uh, part of Ireland was this again? Ennis. In, in, he worked in the jet club and he worked in, in the, um, the Jack Club was the big dance hall, but like from the old dance hall days, and so we had all the show bands coming there. And, and I was who did you meet? Um, geez, the Clipper Carlton, uh, Teddy and the Hilos, and there was all these bands. I remember the names now because they used to collect their photographs. Um, the Miami. Um, I remember meeting Fran O'Toole. Um, when he was with the Miami, I met Butch Moore, Dickie Rock. Uh, I met them all, and and, the and is that when boys. you decided this is what I want to do with my life? I just loved what they were doing. I was in, I was in awe of this stage thing, and then we had the Cayley band in us, and I was the singer in the Cayley band. I wasn't a great musician. The lads were 
very proficient in whistles and, and fiddles and that, but I, I could barely belt out a tune. But I sang all the songs. I sang Kevin Barry and all those ballads at, at the functions. So I was a singer in, in the local Cayley band. And then this was happening every week. We were looking at the bands. And then I discovered the guitar at 12. Was that your brother's guitar you found? Yeah, I found my, my brother. My, my brother had had a, a gut string guitar that he wasn't... How would your life have been different if you hadn't found your brother's guitar? I have no idea. I I really have no idea because, you know, I don't think I was ever cut out to play the banjo or the fiddle or, you know, I, I never had the, the the dedication for that. But there was something when I when I played the guitar, it, something struck. When I got the guitar in my hand and I got my first couple of chords, I felt, wow, this is it, you know. And even when I look back now, I know that at the time, you get frustrated with the guitar because you you want everything to happen immediately. But even at that stage, I remember, maybe it was my teacher, that there was a, um, a Franciscan priest who, used to, who taught and he used to play soccer. He was a lovely man. He taught me and he taught me patience to, to kind of work through it and, and and get the guitar. And he gave me my first few lessons. And then I, I, I stopped going to him for lessons and I started working on my own. And I bought a Leonard Cohen book with his car tablatures in it. And that was me. I I bored the country silly with Leonard Cohen songs. How many years we, we Stockton's Wing was was it about thirty years or? I was with Stockton's Wing for fifteen years from yeah. sorry yeah from nineteen eighty to nineteen ninety four. Uh, I had rec- yeah from I I joined the band in, in March of nineteen eighty, and spent fifteen years with them, and several albums. Um, I had been working with Maura O'Connell prior to that. We had a duet called Tumbleweed, and we sang kind of American New Age, American country at the time because Emily Harris was just on the scene. Her first album had 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 broke, and uh, we kind of got wind of it. And it was kind of people like Maria Muldaur, and we were getting all this music from a friend of ours called P.J. Curtis, who was a uh, went down to produce so many Irish albums. But he'd been tuned into all this music from from uh, abroad and and getting albums in. So he turned myself more on to so many great uh, albums, uh, the Abyssinian Baptist Choir. And the music you were writing, were you aware of that there was, it was coming from a place of pain? Um, yeah, I think I always had a, a, I think I always kind of tuned into some kind of pain or some kind of, I mean, sometimes they used to start telling me my songs were far too serious, you know, because I I suppose for for years you're kind of looking at, like I remember somebody gave me a cassette recently of myself and Maura uh, at a gig in, geez, 1978, you know, in a folk club. And and if the one the lines and the chorus is, take a, lo- take a walk along Main Street, can you hear the people crying? And it goes on about how, <laughs> and this is about Ennis Main Street, you know, so... Yeah. Uh, so there was a lot of angst. I mean, I I laugh. But you can see why. I mean, I know you're you're always smiling since I know you. Yeah. But you can see why there was a lot of angst and suffering. I was, almost. but I would, but I don't think it's, I I say I don't. You might be right. Actually, I I never saw it as as me trying to figure out what had happened to me. But you actually might be right that that was the underlying thing all the time. But I was always trying to find a way out of, of of. I suppose Ennis in a way, and and even though I had I had the most beautiful childhood, but as soon as I hit Doolan when I was seventeen, I had found a whole. That was my was was Doolan sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Yeah, and that yeah. was my get out. I was I was I was out. I was that was my gateway. 
you know. And that was, I mean, I was exposed to to people from all over the world. I was exposed to, to new music. I was exposed to new writing. I, 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 a Dutch woman gave me a Herman Hess novel, you know. So I'm reading Narcissus and Goldman, you know, down on the pier in Doolin, like six or eight months previous that I was doing peg for my leaving cert, you know. Yeah. So that was the... And you were cooking vegetarian food. Yeah, I was getting into vegetarian food and Lentils trying. and you cooked for your mum and dad one time and your dad said he wouldn't give the lentils you cooked to the dogs. <laughs> That's right, yeah. Well, I was brutal uh, uh, cook at the start, but I was determined. And I think it was just me trying to find my own way. And <clears throat> I, I I joke about it now sometimes when I talk about the family that that there was eight of us and all eight of us trying to be the black sheep. And I guess that's where we were, you know. They, we were we were rare to be very individual and um, trying to create your own... I was trying to create my own position in the world, you know. I, I never saw myself as, as being anything special or anything, but I always felt I needed to write and I needed to explore myself uh, far more than, than I had been uh, led to do at, at school, I'd never had much faith in what happened at school, so I What felt were you taught to be at school? As little as possible? As little as possible, yeah. I think for me, as little as possible. I mean, because I was writing at school and it wasn't... Um, they didn't want to know about it, you know, like... Right, yeah, and right. You, were, you, were, you were told to do as little as possible, then you were listening to Don't Follow Leaders, Watch Your Parking Meters. That, that, that was more of your philosophy. I think so, yeah. I yeah. think in a way, yeah. And, and when you're listening, in the music you listen, and then the people you're surrounded with, I mean, there was... There were guys U Club in, in Ennis. So we were listening to, to I'd been to a desert with a horse with a name, you know. Yeah. These kind of stuff. It's like there's there's Neil Young like was in there, Bob yeah. Dylan, you know. All these and, and because I write, I think even at that stage I was writing I was writing so much that time. I was into the lyrics all the time. It was lyrics, lyrics. So I always wanted to find out what the writer was telling me as opposed to humming along the melody of it. I'd, I'd buy albums and if the albums had to have the lyrics on them so that I could understand what was going on here. So I think that's... And you you were spending your weekends in Doolin and you were working in, in Shannon Airport selling statues to the yeah. to the Yanks. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was in mail order in Shannon Airport. You were actually rapping, it sounds like a Pat Short um, <laughs> sketch. You were actually rapping the... the, 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 the um, the, holy the shillelaghs and all that. It was like the the the, the duty free shop was huge, business in in Shannon Airport, massive. I mean, it was it was a it was a big superstore, you know, at the time, and um, it was big business. A lot of American tourists coming through, and they were getting the catalogs, and they were uh, buying from the catalogs. Uh, we'd have to pack it and send it off. And then there was a mail order from America where we sent out catalogs, and they sent back their orders and. It was, it was a big, big Were business. you going in from there? I mean, you were you kind of you're having your sex drug and rock and roll weekends and then going straight into work yeah. Monday morning. How What, what was the journey like from Doolin to, uh, oh. to Shannon? <laughs> it must have been like... Because you had to do it. I mean, you have, I mean, that was your wages. And and then I hadn't, at that stage, I hadn't enough courage. I hadn't built enough courage to, to tell my parents I was giving up my grand pensionable secure job because I came from that um, generation where... The grand pension was secure job was really where it was at. So you could be still in Ch- still at Shannon Airport now. I could be. I could be. I could be running Shannon Airport. Now. Yeah. <laughs> I could be running. You could. Yeah, I could be anywhere. I often think about it. I could be. I think you make 
At what point did your father realise that you weren't working at Channel Airport when he saw you on the Late Late Show at Stockton's Wing or something? No, I, I remember I, I left I left Shannon to work in the local youth centre. I ran a coffee shop. The, this this priest who was he was working with the, the the local bishop, but he was he was in the youth service. Amazing guy, and he he created one of the first ever drop in centres in the country, in Ennis, and it was a drop in centre for students coming back from from school in the afternoons. He kind of noticed they were all lighting around town, and he thought, geez, if there's a place to go where they could listen to music and have coffee and that." So he created this thing, and I got the job of. Uh, running the coffee shop, a friend but of mine. Your guard wasn't up about given your previous experience. No, no, definitely no, no. I trusted him. He was he's a lovely man. Yeah, and he was a great man, and he 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 was a giving man. He he gave so much to, to young people. He was just great. No, I I had no fear of him at all. Yeah, no. I mean that's I mean as, as little as I know of you, that's the kind of person that I whenever I meet you, you always seem kind of very happy and you know I'm happy warm now and giving. You know. It, was it a journey to get to that place? Yes, <laughs> it's it's yeah, it's a it's a. It's been Does a, your wife ever wonder that she 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 married one fella and she's got another yeah, now? She often says it. And <clears throat> what was it like for her? I don't know. I think she was she was she was searching as well. You know, she was doing her own search. I think that's why we kind of connect with each other. Um, we could never have children, and that was a, a major event for both of us, and we had to deal with that. How did you a, deal with a, that? On, on a very personal level, talk about it and, and work it through and accept the fact that it will be the two of us living together, looking at each other across the table every morning. And and we did it, you know. And, and so I think both of us are on, on a very similar journey. I think we're so, we're so connected, yet we're so far apart in personalities. But I think that's, that's, our, that's what keeps us going. What's and, her personality like? Hmm? What's her personality like? Very bubbly. Yeah. Very but you're hardly a miserable shite, if you don't mind me saying. No, that. but I used to be though. I mean, really? I mean, yeah. Well, when I used to get the, when I'd let the world get on top of me, and you know, when you're busy and all that, I, you know, it's funny. Donna always says to me that when I started working for Pat Short, like I ran a kitchen for Pat for three years, and I'd known Pat for for a long time, and Donna always says that when I started working for Pat, I got my mojo back, right there. Because Pat's personality and mine are very much alike. I'd lost that personality from business and 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 a sense of depression at the different times of my life. That person had left me, and Pat kind of woke it up. You know, he laughed it out of you. Yeah, and we had, and we had such he a told great you to, to climb out of your hole almost. <laughs> he actually didn't even tell me. It was just whatever I connected. I connect to Pat like like a real friend in the sense that. I connect in with his humour and I connect to his humanity because he's, he's such a, a, a wonderful man. And we kind of trust each other as, as two pals. And that's kind of started giving me the bubbly personality. And, and then <clears throat> I'm now in a situation where I have a book written and I'm thinking, how great is that? I mean, if you, if you told me that 10 years ago, I'd be laughing at you. You know, 15 years ago, I just said, not a chance. What was it like to write Beautiful Affair? It was the most amazing gig I've ever been involved in. I think the fact that it was about me, and I don't mean that in a selfish sense. All my life, I've been kind of working with people, always trying to make people around me happy and look after them in the business and that. Always trying to be the pleaser and things and all that. 
and make sure the gig works. And even with Ronnie, I was guitar. Did you get player. lost in all that? Yeah, got in, in that whole sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I lost you. You, it's grand when you're working when you're looking after everyone else. You don't you 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 forget about yourself. Yeah. So, and when I got to the book, it was suddenly about me, and it was about me going back over my life and what it meant to me to be a young fella at home, my dad when he was teaching me all the things he was doing, what it was like to be with, with mum, how it was like to be with Stockton's wing, as me, the writer, you know, what Doolan did to me, not what Doolan did to the rest of the world. And I had to write from that sense. What did you did think of that Mike Hanrahan? I, I really liked him. Yeah. But <laughs> prior to him. that, you probably didn't like him, did you? I'd, I'd completely forgotten about him. I'd, I'd, he had, like... I kind of you you get caught up in business, you know. You get caught up in doing things, and you really get caught up, and you forget about who you are, where you came from. And for me, the book gave me that sense to get back into that personality before it's too late. Yeah, I I think I'm just I'm really lucky to be able to have gone back into myself and read the stuff I wrote. Whether it was like as I call it the deep and meaningless poetry I was writing, it didn't matter. I was writing it for some reasons. It was coming from somewhere inside. Didn't you also find diaries that you had written? At, uh, yeah, loads of them. And, and like, uh, I, I never knew I had so many girlfriends when I was a, a teenager. <laughs> it looked like there was girlfriends every week and they were falling in and out of love with me and I was falling in love with them. But that was really... And were there? Yeah, because it, it was a youth club. So, But back in those days, you fall in love with somebody and you might get a peck in the cheek, you know, and then that would be grand. And then she'd find someone else <laughs> in the nightclub or the youth club next week. Simpler times. Yeah, if, much simpler times. Much How did simpler. you meet your wife? Um, She'll kill me enough if she'll hear it, so we talk about this on, on air. I met her, she was at a, she was on a blind date in Bad Bob's. Not with you. No, with Stockton's, at Stockton's Wing, we're doing a gig and a friend of mine came to the gig and his mate was on a blind date with Donna and I, that's as far as the date went really I met her after the gig and, and we just Why did you start on rock, rock star shapes or something? I am. Um, she says I did yeah <laughs> <laughs> Did you? I, I, I claim, I'm claiming the fifth no <laughs> uh, but I really liked her I, I liked the look of her and I liked the way we met when we talked and and then we met uh, the following week by chance in our local pub and then uh, Three or four days later, we had our first date, and that was it. We we have not looked back since. We're still holding hands. It's great. Yeah, yeah. And what's the what's the plan for the future? Is there another book? Is there um? Are, are you touring again with Stockton's Wing? Or it's it's crazy. I mean, I've been on a kind of a whirlwind trying to tell the world about the book, and it's been really lovely going back to so many beautiful villages and towns around Ireland and talking about it, and. I'm kind of I'm kind of tired of talking about myself now, and I'm kind of afraid I'm going to meet myself in some, some studio <laughs> or somewhere. So I'm going to chill out for a couple of weeks because January is going to be hectic for Stockton's Wing. Universal Music have just bought the rights to all the entire catalogue of Stockton's Wing. In fact, they've bought the, the catalogue of the entire um, collection from Tara Records, and we're the first of their releases. And I spent the last couple of months with uh, Universal putting together a package of, of a compilation of, of 42 tracks and working on a, an album and a sleeve design. And that's out in the middle of January. And 
And we're back, Stockton Swinger, back. Um, I'm so delighted about it. It's ex- exciting because it means a whole few generations who had never heard Stockton Swinger are now going to hear our music. Quite a lot of the tracks, have, have, some of them have been previously unreleased. Some of them have never been released on, on CD. You know, some of them have been albums that, as I used to say, it wasn't released, it kind of escaped out there. <laughs> Sometimes they were released for a reason. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there, I mean, there's a couple of mad, there's a great track from um, written by Shea Healy and produced by Bill Whelan. And it was in the mid-80s, early 80s. And it was called Run for the Gold. And we recorded for the Irish <laughs> Olympic team <laughs> who were heading off somewhere for their Olympics. And, and we were the, the national song. And I hadn't heard that for donkey's years. So there's a couple of tracks of that that are nice. And that's that's something to really look forward to. Um, on, on music is really going to take me over next year. I Is music therapy for you? Yeah, I'm delighted to be back. I'm, I'm thrilled. But you're, you're back in the right way. You, you don't want to burn yourself out again. Yeah. And bring depression into your life. I tell you, yeah, I, when I, the way I look at it now, Barry, is that I don't want to take over the world anymore in music, which is what you do when you're, you're unfamiliar. You want to take over the world. All I want to do is make the world I live in a nice place to live in and make really nice music and work with really good people. And I want to surround myself with good people. So I don't want all that other frills that we had and that's around it, all the, the, the crap that goes around it, the bullshit that, that surrounds uh, the music. So... You develop a, a people around you. I have Stockton's Wing. It's a nice lineup. It's a great band. I won't make it my career. It'll be it'll be nice for what it is. But I work with Leslie Dowdle, and we work together as a duo on stage, and it's the most beautiful gig. You know, we we do stuff that's way beyond what we normally do, and we love playing music together. And then I also work with uh, Eleanor Shanley because we worked with Ronnie together, and we started writing a show together remembering Ronnie Drew what did you learn about life from Ronnie about life I got to learn a lot I learned I learned how to be I, I, I how to be when I'm older to be I really want to be as grumpy and as cranky as he was because he had a he was good at it but he did it well yeah exactly he, he was really good at it yeah. he had a great sense of humour about it all you know I, I it was re- almost contained in the cantankerousness it really it? was and I if, if I can remember, I'll, I'll tell you one which really for me sounds Ronnie. We were in, in a hotel one time and the, the whole service industry was changing and uh, suddenly we went into this hotel and there was nobody serving breakfast. We had to serve ourselves everything. <laughs> like you had to get the, the sausages, the, the, the eggs, the tea, the coffee, the milk, eh, you name it. Even the toast, you had to make your toast and this thing that winds the toast around and it never comes out brown enough, Ronnie, it fired Jay's fired in again to get a uh, toasted. And he, every time he come back down, he'd forget something. He was getting really, really frustrated with this new system. So, like, and he was fuming. And instead of <laughs> losing the rag, he went up to the, the guy who was checking your, your room numbers. There was one guy on, and his only task was to make sure no one was getting in there eating breakfast for nothing. So he checked, what's your room number, please? So... Ronnie went up to him and said, he showed him a tenor and he says, excuse me, son, he says, is there any chance you just uh, change that tenor? Uh, just change it for coins. I just want to give myself a tip. <laughs> <laughs> and, that, and that was his way of, of, of getting his, and I loved that about him. And he taught me that kind of way of looking at things, not to be, he was a very, he was a very deep soul. Like he, he loved literature, he loved uh, he loved Ireland. He loved our history. 
bit like yourself, really, isn't he? I'm growing into the Ronnie that I learned, and I I feel I, I've learned. I learned so much from him. Are you being more cantankerous with Donna? Oh God, no! That, I wouldn't get away with that. At all. Are you, are you, joking you get the me? breakfast chair <laughs> tray over your no. head. But Donna's lucky. I do all the cooking, so she's 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 happy out there. You giving yeah. her lentils? She said you wouldn't give that to the dog. Uh, no, she <laughs> would didn't. I don't think the lentils would work. No, it wouldn't. It wouldn't cut the mustard in our house. Not at all. Mike, listen. Thanks a million for coming in. Brilliant. Cheers.